Have you been looking for a place where you can find food to satisfy your spiritual hunger? Well, search no further. Seventh-day Adventist Church Lovington is here for you. Welcome to our podcast where we learn more about Christ wherever we are, whenever we want. I'd like to greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Once again, we want to thank God for the opportunity and the blessing to be together this evening as we continue with our pre-camp meeting with a theme that is set out for us, prepare to meet um, your God. And the theme, as we said yesterday, is taken from Exodus chapter 19, which we will spend time looking into later on in the week. Yesterday, we spent some time looking at the status of those who need to meet up with God, where we saw in Exodus chapter 5, uh, tracing it all the way to the end in chapter 13, that God gives a very consistent message that freedom is a prerequisite of the meeting with him. No one is able to meet God if they are not free. Every form of freedom is at the center of what it means to meet with God. Whatever form of oppression that one is going through, it is always an impediment between us and God in the meeting. In fact, as you would see even later in the New Testament, though we will spend again some time in detail uh, on it later in the week, Christ could not meet anyone until he first addressed their needs. If they were hungry, he had to feed them. If they were sick, he had to heal them. If they were grieving, he had to raise the dead. Once he had addressed that form of oppression, then the people were ready to meet him. Often when we preach the gospel, we do not address the oppressions that people are going through, but then we expect them to meet God somehow. And yet the Bible says God is met first by elevating the challenges of, of his people when his people are free from whatever they are suffering from, then they are able to hear any other thing that Christ uh, or that God wants to present to them. Ellen White, in fact, raises this matter when she says that uh, this method of Jesus Christ of healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the poor, and then bidding them come unto me, she says that is the only method that God's children need to use as well when we are going out to reach the world. To prepare to meet your God, as we then saw yesterday, is God first addressing the challenges of our imprisonment, the challenges of our slavery. Now we return to the book of Exodus again, and now we are in chapter 3, where we are looking at the next message that God has given us. And as we have looked again, the question we need to answer today is who are we even meeting? And we are going to deal with the details of that matter. In chapter 3, we start reading um, from verse 10 of chapter 3 uh, in the book of Exodus. And it says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he replied, 
I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign is that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to you, uh, and say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this then you shall say to the children of Israel, that I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God instructed Moses saying, this you shall say to the children of Israel, that the Lord, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and is everlasting. It is my memorial continually for all generations. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, we submit ourselves to your will, to your teaching, to your intelligence. This is your word. You authored it, and human beings were the tool. Unless you are present, interpretation is faulty, and the power that is supposed to be received from it will not be received. So we pray, be present in interpreting the word and unlock for us the power that is in it. Through Christ Jesus we pray, amen. As we begin the message of Exodus chapter 3, Moses, as we saw yesterday, living in Midian, now married to Zipporah, his wife, we now find the patriarch Moses tending to the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro, when he observes this miracle of a burning bush, a very well-known story. The Bible says that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. There was fire on it, but it was not uh, being consumed. And this miraculous sign causes Moses to come closer the Bible says to us, he wanted to see what on earth could be causing this. I could in many ways suggest to you that Moses was certainly not made like some of us. For many of us, such a sign would lead to us running away and not returning. I remember when I was growing up as a child in the neighborhood where I grew up in, there came a phenomenal story of a tree that was supposedly talking. Apparently, someone had passed by this tree and this tree had then called onto this person. It became so phenomenal that the news media came there. Not one, not two, but many people supposedly came uh, passing this tree and the tree had spoken to them. And all forms of theories emerged about how the tree could be talking. Some could even now trace history of individuals that had been killed and had been buried under that tree. So there was this phenomena, could it be the spirits of those who had died there? So many theories flourished out of that. Even instructions emerged about what this tree had said to the people 
who had managed to hear the tree. With regret, with the media being present, the tree never spoke ever again. So it is not clear whether the tree was shy on the media or whether the tree had said all it can say to those who heard it, or perhaps the tree had never spoken at all. But by and large, what I remember is that for the immediate community around the tree, there was excitement about the at attention on the tree that was supposedly talking, but also there was quite a lot of fear. People were afraid living next to a mystery. Of course, picking up your house and relocating would be something that is very costly and not so easy to do. Generally speaking, human beings do not like phenomena. That is why when we see a phenomena, we only have two things around it. Either we run away or we come close, but with a sense of worship. That is what human beings do. We worship what we fear or don't understand, or we create distance between us and it. We, we, we castigate it, we, we vilify it, or we come up with anything that is going to create space between us and it. Moses, however, came close. Moses wanted to know why is this happening. And when he had arrived at the tree, then someone spoke at the tree. And the voice he heard was the voice of God. And the first instruction the voice gave him was Moses, take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. That for me already makes Moses a very unique person. Because truthfully speaking, if the voice had spoken to me, I would not have been around for the voice to even finish its first line. Just by calling my name, I certainly would have ran for dear life. But Moses is able to withstand the miracle, the phenomena, and to listen to what this phenomena may be suggesting to him. And here's the first instruction that then God gives Moses. Take off your ground because the uh, take off your sandals because the ground on which you stand is holy ground. There is a symbolic message in what God is saying. Take off your sandals because the sandals represent a barrier between me and you. Not that they are a literal barrier, but they are symbolic. And when you take off your sandals, Moses, you will stand on holy ground. Then what will happen? The holiness that is in the ground will now be holiness that will permeate you. The holiness will touch your flesh and it will move through you so that the holy God who speaks on the tree, whose presence has made the ground holy, will now make you holy as well, Moses. The instruction carries with it a powerful uh, a theology, one that says, God is in the business of sanctifying his people and that God is in the business of taking away whatever limits the human being from experiencing God at the fullest. May I suggest to you that ultimately God himself would take off the sandals of divinity when he came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. Not in the sense that he stops being God, 
but then he removes the veil of divinity when he finally becomes flesh and joins humanity so that he is called Himanu Eli, Emmanuel, with us is God or God with us. And so it is today Moses who takes off the sandals, but it is actually pointing to a greater coming time when God himself would make that move when God himself would remove whatever is the barrier between us and him so that he may come to be among us. But this would not only be limited there. At the cross when Jesus dies for us, he would even go further in removing the sandal when he embraces death itself just so he could be ultimately one with the human being in our life and in our suffering for the sake of our redemption. And so Moses takes off the sandals and he now stands as a holy man on holy ground speaking to a holy God. Then God says to him, I have a mission that I want to give you. I want you to go. I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to be the instrument through which I am going to deliver my children. Firstly, we need to note in this story that to prepare to meet your God means that first there must be a holiness, a sense of accepting, in other words, an election from God to those who will come and meet him. Moses did not invite himself to the tree. God invited him. When Moses had arrived, God sanctified him. It is one of the most powerful and potent statements coming from Ellen White when she says to us, God does not call the qualified, but God qualifies those whom he has called. In other words, dear friends, to meet God does not require us to be in any particular standing that is appreciated by God. But rather, God calls all of us in the very nature that we are in. It is his duty to then make us holy. It is his duty to then lead us through the process of cleansing, through the process of holiness, by which we may look exactly like what he wants us to be. As early and as old as these Old Testament stories are, Justification by faith is already revealed that we are being saved by the God who qualifies the called, not that the called must qualify themselves. And this will be the theme, even unto Calvary, beyond Calvary, even unto the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Moses has been qualified by the God who calls him. Now, when Moses has been qualified, Moses is told he has to go to Egypt because he must become God's instrument of redemption. And that is the second point that we want to talk about. To prepare to meet your God is to prepare to be sent on a mission. Meeting God, dear friends, while indeed it may feel like a vacation, as our own burdens and impurities and struggles and slaveries are lifted up 
as we saw yesterday, at the same time, to meet your God is to be then sent out to go and call others who were once imprisoned as you were. So when God calls me, he is also freeing me from my oppression. At the same time, he is employing me. He is giving me a purposeful life. He is giving me a mission on what exactly I am required to do for him. To be called to meet your God is also a call to service in as much as it is a call to my own personal redemption. So Moses is given a mission. Where is the mission? That is the next point we want to title. He is being called to meet God in Egypt. Egypt is the last place Moses wants to be in. Moses, Moses committed a crime in Egypt. Moses is wanted in Egypt. May I suggest also that to prepare to meet your God may sometimes mean that the destination is to go to the past, to face our mistakes, to face things that we have done so much to hide away from. To prepare to meet your God is not going to be an easy call, but it is a call that God has empowered and qualified us for. Yes, to meet your God sometimes means we are going back to Egypt where you committed a murder. Sometimes going back or meeting your God means we are traveling to the past, to that woman that we got pregnant and we denied the child and we disappeared. It means going back to Egypt, meeting the child we denied, meeting the girl that we betrayed. That is sometimes what it means to prepare to meet your God. You may need to go back to places and spaces which you had determined you will never go back there again. That is what it may mean. It may mean traveling back to places where you owe an apology. It may mean traveling back to places where you need to humble yourself and take responsibility for the actions you've made in the past. Regardless of how hard you have worked to cover your trail, to make sure that no one knows where you are, to make sure that whatever you did in the past, those who know you right now do not know what you used to be. You see, many times when we are preaching the gospel, we are quick to emphasize one side that God will help us to forget uh, our past and our past will be remembered no more. While that is true, we must not do that in the context of a lie. God does not make a past miraculously disappear. God makes us to be able to face the past, to be willing to be remorseful and vulnerable to properly walk with him the journey of taking responsibility and accountability for the past, walking away from the past, now knowing that we are truly fearful no more of the past. We are not blackmailed by the past. We are not burdened by the past. So for, 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 for Moses to be available in Canaan land one day, he must first go back to Egypt. I hope you understand that. Because at Midian, 
He is closer to Canaan land than to Egypt. Why is it not that he just doesn't go to Canaan land immediately? Canaan land is closer from Midian than Egypt. But God says, yes, the target is to go to Canaan land, but we cannot go to Canaan if we have not gone back to Egypt first. First, we must go back to Egypt. First, we must travel the journey into a place which we swore we would never go back to. But we have to, because it is there that our mission begins. It is there that our restoration begins. It is there that our reconciliation begins. It is there that our humility, accountability, and responsibility is going to begin. When we have started in Egypt, we can go to Canaan land knowing that there is nothing from the past that is coming after us. There is nothing from the past that threatens our right to being in Canaan land. We can become citizens of the future knowing that the past is not casting aspersions of whether we even qualify to be in the future. We can be citizens of Canaan land knowing that the Egyptian problems have been adequately dealt with. And so, God says we are going to Egypt, and I want to suggest to you that this week, today, we may need to face God in a journey towards Egypt. And look at how God is doing it. You are going to Egypt where you committed a crime. In Egypt, you will also deliver my people. In other words, forgiveness and repentance is also tied to being a servant of God. We can travel a journey of taking responsibility for our past, while at the same time fulfilling the call for our mission in the present and in the future as well. When I was in college training to be a pastor, we had a lecturer there, a very intelligent a man a, and a pastor who has served God's church faithfully. He is a scholar in the apocalyptic books, Daniel Revelation, Dr. T. Litsedi. He once gave us a very powerful piece of advice. He said, you know, for those of you who are already married and those who will get married, there is something I want to share with you. Never ever go to the pulpit and preach while you have not made peace with your spouse. He says, you see, when you are preaching and your wife is in the audience, but she and you are not happy with each other, your eyes will even avoid making eye contact with her. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you are doing my work in the pulpit, but you've not done my work in your heart you should have made peace with your spouse and then come on the pulpit, knowing that your past no longer blackmails your service. And that is what God is doing. Moses, you will serve me in great things. However, if you are not ready to face your past, we are in danger that your future service to me will always be questionable because we have not gone to face where you are coming from. 
my dear friends, we have to face the journey of going back to the past, of apologizing where we have wronged, of standing in a position of humility so that we can truly enjoy what it means to be deployed by God. We must face the reality that to serve God now and in the future also means I may need to go back to my past and make peace with it. And so Moses says, okay, I hear you. I can possibly deal with the fact that I now have to go back to Egypt, though I have spent 40 years forgetting Egypt. But when I get there, Moses says, tell me, what am I going to say? But before that, God says to him, let me tell you something, Moses. When you have done what I've asked you to do, you will worship me here on this very mountain with my people. What is the objective of meeting God? Why is God going through this entire exercise of delivering the children of Israel? It is because we must worship him. My dear friends, let me be very clear. I will never at any point be apologetic about why human beings were created. I will not try and search for philosophical reasons why we were created. Whether you think that means God has an ego or not, regardless, there is only one God and he made us for one purpose, to worship him. Whether you think that then reveals that God is egocentric, well, my only answer is be a God yourself and create your own who will worship you. But I am not dismayed at all. In fact, I am pleased and honored that I was made for one reason and one reason only. I was made to worship God. I see no challenges with that. It, it gives me no sleepless nights. In fact, it is the foundation of the sleepful nights, knowing that my entire existence is summarized in one reason and one reason only. I was made to worship God. I see, I see no greater joy to be made. I see no greater purpose for why I breathe every day. I see no value. Everything I do, every day I have spent at school or university studying theology, all of it, I sum it up to one reason. All of it was not for the glory of my intelligence. It was for the glory of God. And there is nothing that means anything greater than that. My marriage, my life, my being a father to my children, all of them are for one reason, so that God may be glorified. The way I am working and loving my wife is so that God should be glorified. I am raising my kids so that God should be glorified. Everything about us has only one reason to eat. And I am not interested in trying to be some deep philosopher searching for any other reason for existence. All of them are vain, they are null and void. They have no essence in themselves. There is only one thing that anchors the experience of existence. It is to worship the living God.
And God says to Moses, when I have delivered them and you, I am going to bring all of you to this mountain so that you may worship me. God does not invent any other deeper reason than that as for why he wants to deliver. Why did God deliver us at the cross? He loved us. Yes, he loved us. But loved us for what? He loved us because he made us as creatures that must reflect his greatness. That is worship. When he said, let us make men in our image, what was the point exactly of humanity being in his image? So that when humanity excels, he may be glorified. There is only one reason. Go to the book of Revelation. What is the point? It is to worship God. What does the angel say in, 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 in the three angels' message? Fear God. Fear God. Worship him. That's the essence. What does the message say when we get to Revelation 21? It says, now the tabernacle God is with man. Worship him. Fear him who made the heavens, the earth, and everything that is in the universe. We were made for the worship and the pleasure of God's greatness. And any human being who struggles with that, I pity such a person because then you are embroiled in a very long life of searching for purpose that doesn't exist only to come back to the same spot. The wisest man that ever lived, the greatest reasoner of them all, King Solomon, he said it in the end. He said, I have tried it all. I have studied it all. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. It is a joy for me and it shall always be. Both in this temporary life that I will one day lose. And in the eternal life that I will one day be given when Christ comes again. My purpose will remain the same and unquestionable. It will be to worship God. God says to Moses, I am not delivering Israel for fun. I am not pulling them out of Egypt because I am bored. I am pulling them out of Egypt that you may come here and worship me. But not only you. Remember what God said to Abraham. He said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so this mission, it's not just about delivering Israel. It's about bringing every nation under the sun. It is about bringing in the Arabs, the Zulus, the Kosas, the, the, the Lozi. It is about bringing everyone, the Americans, the English, the Chinese, the Russians, the Kenyans, the Ugandans. Everyone is being called to one purpose. Worship him. The whole project is about worshiping God. And so Moses understands what is the purpose. So he understands first that he is going to be qualified by the God who calls him. He understands that meeting God will also mean a travel into his past to take responsibility. He also understands that he is, being, he is going to meet God in a mission. He also understands is that the purpose now is to worship God, the last piece of the puzzle, to know who is doing all of this. And so 
Moses says to God, I hear you now. Here's a problem. When I get to Egypt, they will ask me, when I say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, who is he? Why this question? Because the Israelites have been in Egypt for 420 years or so. There are different cal uh, calculations, but most of them agree that the Israelites were in Egypt somewhere between 400 and 430 years. In that period, many, many, many of them can no longer relate to the God of their forefathers, the God they arrived worshipping when Joseph and the other patriarchs arrived. Now the Bible says, Moses then says, they don't know you, but there's something else that Moses knows. You see, Moses was a prince of Egypt for many years. He was raised in the palace of Pharaoh for possibly 38, 39 years from the time he was found. And as a prince of Egypt, he studied everything Egyptian, including the Egyptian worship system. Egypt had about a thousand gods. The most prominent gods were around about, you know, maybe 20 of them. But Egypt had just over a thousand gods. Some gods were regional. Some gods were national. And right up there at the highest level, you find the gods that were most prominent, Osiris, the father of all the gods, Isis, the mother of all the gods, and you find there also Horus, the one who becomes actually the greatest of all the gods, represented by the figure of a man holding the two scepters of Egypt, wearing a crown, and his face is the face of the falcon, and he has the sun in his crown. This is the great Horus, and sometimes also the great Isis, the greatest of all the, the gods. Isis, known as the goddess of fertility, the goddess of life, the mother represented by the river Nile, the goddess of productivity. Egypt had these prominent gods. What is important is that in Egypt, every god had a name. Why did they have a name? There are three things that were important in the name of a God. One, in the name of a God, you knew what they specialized in. Are they a God of war? Are they a God of life? Are they a God of death? Are they a God of agriculture? Are they a God of uh, 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 engineers, builders? What are they gods of? Even the Greeks and the Romans had the same. They had their Athenas as the patron goddess of Athens and so on. They had their Zeus and all the other gods that were there. Now, the second thing, in the name of a god, you also knew what they specialized in. You also knew the length of their territory. So the first thing, what do they specialize in? The second thing, how far is their authority, the territory of their authority? As I've said, other gods commanded national power. Other gods were only authoritative in a particular province. 
original town. The last thing, where are they found? Does this God live in the water under the sea on top of the mountain? When Moses asks God, what is your name? He is asking from his Egyptian theology, from his Egyptian understanding. He asks, in other words, three things. What do you specialize in? How large is your territory of authority? And where are you located? My dear friends, I want to suggest to you that many of us today are struggling with God precisely because of that. Precisely because we have a worldview by which we must judge what God must do. You see, by the time we kneel to pray, many of us in our prayers, we've already decided what God specializes in. How far can he go in answering me? And where will I find him? Do you know what happened under COVID-19? Those who thought God was in a church were now struggling. The God of their location could no longer be found in the location where they thought he should be. Many are still struggling even now. They can't worship at home because their God needs the location. If he is not in church, he is not a God. Others are struggling with his authority because I prayed for someone who is sick and the sick person died. I question whether God has authority over life and death. Many have a problem these days with God's authority. I have prayed for a job and I didn't get a job. Does God then have authority over money matters? There are people struggling with God's authority in any sphere where they feel he has failed them. Others are struggling with what does he specialize in. We see it everywhere. People are concerned. What can they bring to God? What they can do themselves? Because they need to know, does God specialize in this? Or is this one mine to do? We even come up with the sayings, God helps those who help themselves. In other words, there are things God doesn't specialize in. These ones are mine to do. But God answers as we finish today's message. He says, now you go tell them. I am that I am. Haya, I am that I am. Tell them, Haya, I am has sent you. In one other translation of the Hebrew, it says, I am that which I ought to be. In another translation, it says, I am the existence that exists. I am the presence. I am the existence. I am it. I am the very ontological being. I am the it. And I am whatever that I desire to be. Go tell them that they are slaves. What they need is a redeemer. Then I will be a redeemer. Go tell the fatherless that I am a father. Go tell the defenseless that I am a defender. Go tell the lost that I am a compass. Go tell the cold that I am a pillar of fire. Go tell those who are scorched 
by the sun that I am a pillar of cloud. Go tell the hungry that I am the bread of life. Go tell the thirsty that I am the water of life. Go tell the sick that I am the healing. Go tell the dying that I am the life. Go tell the dead that I am the resurrection itself. I am that which I ought to be. The question is not to analyze God. The issue is what do I need that God will become so that I may know who I am dealing with. The greatest problem in Christianity is the analysis of God. Even with Jesus, I see and I read in the Adventist church, Catholic church, Methodist church, everyone is concerned. What was the nature of Jesus? Was he half God, half man, fully God, fully man? And I have to ask this. I understand it as a theologian. For theological gymnastics, it is a great thing. But here is the point. Who among mortals can analyze the mysteries of the nature and the science of a God becoming a man? Who knows what to do with that? The question is, did he save me? Do I believe? So yes, for theological gymnastics, we shall write dissertations and books and theses, and we shall graduate with doctorates. But here is the fundamental question. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That is the I am. What do you want him to be for you? Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet the great I am. The one who will be. The one who is greater than what is. Whatever he has been in your life right now, please do not think that is all he is. This is all you know of him as far as he has revealed himself in your needs. But if you need more, God can be so much more and can reveal more. The great I am is the one that you and I have come to meet so that we may finally see that he is the only and there is no other other than him. I am that I am. I am whatever and all things. I am the very existence. Nothing exists without me. This is a very powerful thing. You see, God is all things do not exist without him and yet at the same time he is none of these things all things are because of him and yet not the all things are him even us we were made in his image yet he is not in our image he is god and he this great mysterious one is also the one who is so practical that he can deliver you out of oppression in Egypt. He can make sure that you have food on your table. He can make sure you are healed when you are sick. He can allow you to die because he has power to raise you from the dead. As mysterious as he is, 
He is also as practical, as present, as we could ever need our God to be. We have come to meet him. One song from a group here in South Africa called No Limits. The song says, he's big enough to rule the mighty universe, yet small enough to live within our hearts. This is the great I am that we have come to meet. He arrives in rumbling and thunder, yet at the same time, he weeps with Mary and Martha when Lazarus is dead. He raises the dead, yet at the same time, he allows himself to be crucified. He feeds thousands from nothing, yet at the temptations, he refuses to make bread for himself. This is the great I am. It is not about the science of defining him. It is about the faith that opens the hands and says, be everything and anything for me. Surprise me. Do whatever it means to be you in my life. My favorite verse, Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could think or imagine. That is the point. He is God. If I can imagine it, then clearly he is not thinking about it. How can I think what God can think when God is God and I am human? Yet at the same time, he knows how to answer prayers in a manner that fits my understanding. What a God that we have come to meet. I pray that you may never lose even an ounce of the blessing of having him as your God. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father in heaven, who is everything and more than we could think or imagine, blessed be your name. And as we have come to meet you in this pre-camp meeting, one thing I pray for this evening, be Haya. Be the great I am in our lives and in my life. I know what I think you should be, but your word says to me, you can be infinitely more. So I ask of you, I ask that you do not meet our expectations but that you excel in becoming your own expectation in our lives. Fulfill yourself in a manner that I will only need eternity in order to be present to experience. For this life can never be enough to truly know what it means to have you as our God. I pray that we may have faith and humility to open ourselves to the true experience of your revelation. This we pray through the greatest revelation you've ever given, that is yourself in flesh in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
We hope the message has been a blessing and you have experienced the God of freedom. Till next time, stay safe and be blessed. Remember to subscribe and share. If you have any questions or comments, please share them in the comment section below. Bye-bye.